Grace and peace to you friends. Welcome to The Oak Tree Journeys. My name is Mandy Oaks and this is Season 1, Episode 34 of the Encyclopedia Challenge. What is the Encyclopedia Challenge, you may ask? That's a great question. The Encyclopedia Challenge is where I read the entire encyclopedia to you. We read it in bite-sized chunks and I am reading from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 and the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So the whole goal of the Encyclopedia Challenge is to read the entire encyclopedia. So we are still on A's. So if you are new to this channel, welcome and thank you so much for listening. Uh, if you uh, are not new and you've stuck with me through all of the episodes and through the bonus, Thank you, thank you, thank you, and thank you again to my listeners, not only in the U.S., but also in Australia. Now, I do have a few uh, house cleaning things to do, or housekeeping, uh, whatever it's called. Uh, first, before we get into that, um, I am in my new house. It's kind of echoey right now because the room only has one desk and one chair plus me. Um, but I'm excited. I was too excited um, about the desk, about the room. My brother painted it. Looks nice. My friends Tony and Ken brought the desk for me. Uh, so thank you, thank you, thank you. And uh, so I thought, well, let's just give it a go. Um, this this was just a perfect room. Uh, so I wanted to go ahead and record this podcast. So if it's a little echoey, that's why it's still a semi-empty room. Oh, but I just couldn't wait. So, so thank you guys. And uh, also, uh, our monthly quote, I found out, uh, for, the, for October, is not what Aristotle said. Uh, I did do some digging around, uh, but I'll read it. Uh, it's attributed to Aristotle, uh, but it's not exactly what he said, uh, but it st sticks true to what he believed in. So our monthly quote is, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence then is not an act, but a habit. So even though Aristotle didn't say that exactly, it's still a really good uh, saying. It's still a really good quote uh, to keep in mind. And I did get a lot of information from checkyourfact.com. Uh, so that was, that was a good website. It, it was... Uh, from 626-2019, uh, and it said that the quote came from a book called The Story of Philosophy from 1926. So, I don't have that book. Um, I haven't read that book. I'm just taking this website's word for it for now until either you tell me otherwise or until I find out on my own otherwise. But again, the quote is, we are, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit, and that is attributed to Aristotle, even though he didn't say it. And I also need to mention, uh, before we get into our entries today, and we've got all 50. I am so, so excited. Um, we do have all 50 words. I've got them all printed out, all ready to go. Um, but uh, the challenge uh, of the bonus word, the bonus word challenge... Uh, that I threw out there, uh, if you tried sending me an email, and we remember we did not have any winners, so for those of you who listen on a regular basis, uh, we didn't have a winner, but if you tried to send me an email with the word that you heard uh, for the bonus, uh, I found out that theoaktreejourneys at gmail.com was not sending me all of my emails. So if you did try and you did your best, what uh, I would like you to do, if you still want to uh, try to win the book, uh, that's uh, my late grandfather's book, South Africa, The Long Disputed Land. If you did try to send me an email, get the original email that you try to send. And as long as it's marked September, by September 30th, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, uh, send that to me either forward forward the entire email or uh, 
do a uh, save the email and, and do it as a, an attachment, uh, send it to mandyoaks at protonmail.com. That is my first and last name at protonmail.com. That's M-A-N-D-Y-O-A-K-S at proton, P-R-O-T-O-N, mail, M-A-I-L dot C-O-M. So mandyoaks at protonmail.com. And I am very sorry that that happened. I, I found uh, messages from two or three months ago that never made it into the inbox for whatever reason. So if you did try to send me the word, uh, just go ahead and send it to mandyoaks at protonmail.com. And I will have that, a little reminder, um, in the description uh, for today's episode. Uh, so again, my apologies for that. Okay, and let's go ahead and get into our entries. So before break, we will have five words. Agenia, Agenesis, Agent, Agents General, and Adratum. Adratum. Okay, so the first word, um, and we are going to start with the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So, Agenia. Oh, I'm sorry, agenia, noun, and it means, in entomology, genus of hymenpetorus spider wasps belonging to the family of palm pilidae with smooth legs. In their mud nests, which they build beneath logs or under the bark of trees, the females lay up for their young store of spiders. So they snatch spiders and they store them up for their young. So for those of you who don't like spiders but like wasps, uh, that is the wasp for you. Um, I personally prefer spiders, um, but that's just me. Now the next word is uh, gen genesis. It's not uh, a genesis, which we had in our last entry. So we did have a genesis in the last entry. This one is spelled with two N's. So we have, um, actually a genesis was the last word uh, last week. So in episode 33, a genesis was the last word. And that meant absence of parts or imperfect development of parts. And that was spelled with one N. Now the word we have today is a genesis. That is a noun and that has two N's. It means impotent, impotence, sterility, failure of power or reproduction, a genetic characterized by sterility or impotence. So it's still, uh, you know, the previous definition of a, a genesis was uh, absence of parts or imperfect development of parts. So it's kind of the same thing. This is, but this one's dealing with reproductive. So you're failing to reproduce. Okay, and our third entry is Agent, and uh, every time I read that I think Secret Agent Man, <laughs> uh, but Agent is one who, one who is authorized or delegated to transact business for another, who in this relation is called his principal or constituent, in whose place he comes and who is bound by his acts in the business to which the agency extends. The appointment of an agent may either be general, having reference to all the principal's affairs, or special, concerning some particular object. It may further be concerning, oh, sorry, it may further be limited by instructions as to the conduct he is to pursue, pursue or unlimited, in which case his conduct is left to his own discretion. Even in the last case, however, the agent is not freed from all responsibility for his conduct. He is bound to do his best for his employer, and he ought not to accept or retain the agency unless competent to its performance. See principal and agent, also factor, broker, commissioner, commission merchant, attorneys. Okay, and that was agent. And our fourth word is agents general. And for that word, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, so Agents General, is representatives in London of the self-governing British colonies. So fairly short, fairly short definition there. 
And we go back to the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909 for our fifth word. And that fifth word is agitarum. Agitarum. Noun. And it means a genus of com composite plants, one of the species, Mexicanum, being a well-known occupant of the flower border, with densely clustered lavender blue capitals, genus so named because its flowers continue for a long time. And with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. I hope you enjoyed your break. Uh, before we continue on uh, to our sixth word, I just wanted to remind you uh, for any spelling of these words, go to theoaktreejourneys.com. And that is theoaktreejourneys.com. And you can also find previous podcasts. Uh, the link will be in the description um, of this podcast. And let me go over the words that we'll be reading. So we have ages, age sander, age solace, ag, agglomerate, agglutinate, aggrandize, aggravate, aggregate, aggress. So words 6 through 15. And our sixth entry is ages. And this one's fairly long. Uh, I do not remember seeing any word that was as long as the Africa entry we had last week. Um, but we do have a fairly, a few fairly long ones, just not nearly as long. Um, I know as I was listening to it last week, um, I was like, wow, that is just really, really long. And there was, if I tried to speed it up, I would have stumbled all over myself because those were some hard words. Um, and I did stumble a few times. But thank you for sticking with Africa. I thought it was an interesting entry. Uh, just really, really long. And we'll, we'll come across that. Um, I noticed Alaska is pretty long as well. Um, so buckle up when we get to Alaska. It looks like Alabama is fairly long. Uh, so we'll be a little more prepared and maybe have a few more breaks um, for these longer ones. Um, but without further ado, let's go to word six, which is ages. Designating the epics of civilization in the history of the human race. The old poets and philosophers described these in harmony with what they conceived to have been the moral and political condition of their ancestors. The idea of a succession of ages presented itself at a very early period in the Greek mind. The life of the race was likened to that of the individual, hence the infancy of the former might easily be imagined to be, like that of the latter, the most beautiful and serene of all. Hesiod mentions five ages, the golden, simple, and patri pa the patri patriarchy, the silver, voluptuous and godless, the brazen, warlike, wild, and violent, the heroic, an aspiration towards the better, the iron in which justice, piety, and faithfulness had vanished from the earth, the time in which Hesiod fancied that he himself lived. Ovid closely imitates the old Greek except in one particular. He omits the heroic age. This idea, at first perhaps a mere poetic comparison, gradually worked its way into prose and finally became a portion of scientific philosophy. These ages were regarded as the divisions of the great world year, which would be completed when the stars and planets had performed a revolution round the heavens, after which destiny would repeat itself in the same series of events. Thus, mythology was brought into connection with astronomy. The Golden Age was said to be governed by Saturn, the silver by Jupiter, the brazen by Neptune, and the iron by Pluto. Many curious calculations were entered into by ancient writers to ascertain the length of the heavenly year and its various divisions. The greatest discrepancy prevailed as might naturally be expected, some maintaining that it was 3,000 and others as many as 18,000 solar years. The Sibelian Brooks compared it to the seasons of the solar year, calling the golden age the spring, etc., and on the completion of the cycle, the old order was renewed. The idea of a su succession of ages is so natural that it has inwrought itself into the religious convictions 
of almost all nations. It is sanctioned by scripture, for it is symbolically adopted into the apocalypse to a certain extent. It also manifests itself into the sacred books in, of the Indians. Modern philosophy, at least in Germany and France, has also attempted to divide human history into definite ages or periods. Fichte numbers five, of which he conceives that we are in the third. Hegel and August Conti reckon three, placing us in the last. The course of history, however, proceeds in quiet indifference to all metaphysical dogmatism. <laughs> See bronze comma age of okay so that was pretty cool and let me just put a check mark here so i don't lose the, my place okay our seventh entry is from the encyclopedia americana of 1956 and that is agasander uh, and there's no pronunciation key here so i'm just guessing um but agasander a Greek sculptor of the Rhodian school who with Polydorus and Athenodorus from 42 to 21 BC are mentioned by Pliny as authors of the famous Locoon group discovered near the Baths of Titus in 1506 and now in the Vatican at Rome. Okay, and let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And... That word is Agesalus, or Agesalaeus, Agesalaeus, king of Sparta, B.C. 443 through 360. Um, there's also in parentheses 399 to 360. Um, not sure what that is. Elevated to the throne. Oh, okay. So it looks like. He may have been born 443 BC and lived until 360 and then ascended the throne in 399 BC. Okay, so it doesn't really say, so we'll, we'll assume that's what it is. So, so he was elevated to the throne in 399, chiefly by the ex exertions of Lysander, being called upon by the Ionians to assist them against Artaxerxes, he began a splendid campaign in Asia but was compelled by the Corinthian War, in which several of the Grecian states were allied against Sparta, to leave his conquest over the Persians incomplete and return to Greece. At Cheronoa, B.C. 394, he gained a victory over the allied forces, and in 378, the war was concluded by a treaty of peace in favor of Sparta. Afterwards, in the Theban War, though hard-pressed by Pelopidas and Epaminondas, he bravely and ably defended his country. He is described as of small stature, but commanding aspect, blameless in his private character, that's good, and in private life, just as far as his partiality for his own country allowed. His biographers are Xenophon, Plutarch, and Cornelius Nepos. Okay. And that's always good whenever um, you can say that about someone. Um, can't always say that about people, but that's really awesome. Right, and our ninth entry is ag, ag, verb, and it means in Old English, so it is an Old English word, to provoke, to dispute, agging, agged, see egg, too, <laughs> so ag. And our tenth entry is agglomerate. So agglomerate is a verb and it means to wind to or on, to gather into a mass, to grow into a mass, adjective, heaped together, noun in geology, a term employed to designate accumulations of angular fragments of rocks thrown up by volcanic eruptions, agglomerating, agglomerated, agglomeration, the state of being gathered into a mass or ball. That's a pretty good word. I like that. Agglomerate. Agglomerate. Okay. Agglomerate. Okay. And the 11th entry is agglutinate. So agglutinate is a verb and it means to glue onto, to unite or cause to adhere. So gluten uh, is a glue. Um, I'm allergic to, a lot of people are now, 
Um, but agglutinate is a glue uh, to unite or cause to adhere. Agglutinating, agglutinated, agglutinant, uniting parts as with glue, noun that which causes it causes adhesion, agglutination, noun the act of united by uniting by tenacious substance, agglutinative, tending to or causing union, applied to languages whose compounds and inflections are formed by the opposition of words without fusion or alteration, see philology. And our twelfth word for entry is a really good one. Uh, well, I think most of these are pretty good. Um, but it's aggrandize. Aggrandize. And it's a verb. It means to exalt, to raise to wealth, honor, or power. Aggrandizing. Aggrandized. Aggrandizer. One who exalts. Aggrandizement. Noun. The making greater in power, wealth, or honor. Synonym of aggrandize. To exalt. Enlarge. Improve. Increase. Augment. Promote. Advance. Our 13th entry is aggravate. So aggravate is a verb, and it means to add to or increase the weight to make anything worse or less endurable. So if you're ever aggravated, that's why. So aggravating, aggravated, aggravation, and making worse what excites anger or emotion. Synonym of aggravate, to exaggerate, magnify, heighten, raise, increase, Exasperate, irritate, provoke, of aggravation, provocation, irritation, exasperation. So, yep. I don't think anyone's ever been exasperated. <laughs> wink, wink there. Okay, our 14th entry is aggregate. So we had aggravate, and now we have aggregate. And... It means, it's a verb, and it means to bring together as a flock. So aggravate is to make angry or worse, and so aggregate is to bring together, to collect into one sum, mass, or body, to accumulate, formed by a collection of many particulars. The sum total, the result of many particulars, aggregating, aggregated, aggregatedly, collectively, aggregation, noun, the act of heaping together a collection, Aggregative, collective, aggregatively, by aggregation, consecutively, with no pause between, synonym of aggregate, verb, to accumulate, pile, collect. And our 15th entry before break is aggress. So that's aggress, and it is a verb, and it means to begin a quarrel or controversy, to attack, aggressing, aggressed, Aggression, noun, the first act leading to a quarrel or dispute. Aggressor, noun, one who first attacks or begins a quarrel. Aggressive, tending to or relating to the first attack. Aggressiveness, the state or quality of being aggressive. Synonym of aggression, assault, injury, attack, encroachment, invasion. And with that, let's go to break. Welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your break. I did. I went running down to my grandfather's house, so I might be a little bit of out of breath. I had to grab something out of his fridge before he left. <laughs> and, oh, before I forget, uh, last week I promised I would have a picture of one of the charts from the African uh, entry, or, or the entry on Africa. Uh, and... Instead, I put up my late grandfather's book cover. My apologies for that. As I was uploading everything, I realized I did not have a picture and I wasn't able to take one at the time. So I do have the picture, and by the time this podcast posts, it will be on the website. So my apologies for that, uh, but I will get that rectified. And here's the list of the next 10 words. We have aggrieve, agacon, aghast, agment or agmet, agila wood, agile, agincourt or azincourt, agio, and a second one for agio, and then agis or agis. We'll find out. <laughs> okay, our first 
one or our sixteenth entry is aggrieve. Aggrieve, and that is a verb. It means to afflict, to pain, or injure anyone, to injure in one's right, aggrieving, aggrieved, aggrievance, injury, wrong, oppression. And for our 17th entry, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956, and it is Aga and there's no way, there's no pronunciation key, so I may be pronouncing it wrong, my apologies for that, but Aga title of the spiritual head of the Indian Ismailites, or Kojas, a Mohammedan sect. The office is vested in a very ancient and sacred family said to be descended from Muhammad's daughter, Fatima, but more directly from Hassan ibn Allah Saba, founder of the Ismailian dynasty in Persia, who died 1124. This mighty personage became chief of the dreaded assassins, well known by the crusaders and completely exterminated by the Tatar or Tatar. King Halaku of Persia in 1256. The present holder of the title is the third in succession. A remarkable feature of the three Aga Khans is their absolute and wholehearted devotion to Great Britain. Aga Khan I, Son Ali Shah, born Persia 1800, died Bombay 12 April 1881, was governor general of the province of Kerman under the Shah Fatah Ali. He fled from Persia in 1840 after an attempt to gain the throne at which his family aimed and settled in Bombay. Here he held a royal court for 30 years. He assisted the British with his private cavalry in the Afghan War in 1842 and later rendered numerous valuable services to the British government, which granted him a pension. A recognized king without a country, he exercised absolute control over his followers, collected a large annual tribute, and became a keen sportsman with a special fondness for horse racing. Aga Khan II, Aga Ali Shah, son of the preceding, reigned only four years. He continued in his father's policy, received a knighthood from Queen Victoria, and was made a member of the Bombay Legislative Council. He died in 1885 and was succeeded by his son, Aga Sultan Sir Muhammad Shah, K-C-I-E-G-C-S-I-L-L-D. What a name. <laughs> Aga Khan III, born 1877. He holds, so apparently he was still... Well, he was... Let's see, this was in 1956, so... He, he could have been... He, yeah, still be alive. Okay, so it sounds like he was... He may have been alive. We'll keep reading. So he may have been alive at the time of this, the 1956 writing. He holds spiritual sway over some 60 million, so again, that's 60 million followers in India, Central Asia, East Africa, Morocco, and China. At the outbreak of the World War I, he was visiting his adherents in Zanzibar. He not only exhorted all his people to place their personal services and resources unreservedly, at the disposal of the British government, but himself volunteered to accompany the Indian Expeditionary Force as a private in any infantry regiment since he had not had any military training to justify a commission. When Turkey entered the war, he issued a powerful manifesto to Muslims throughout the empire strongly condemning her action. At the risk of his life, he visited Egypt at the, in the critical period immediately following Turkey's adhesion to the Central Powers, and assisted in bringing about the readjustment which followed the death position of Abbas Pasha II. During 1911 to 1913, he was instrumental in soothing the grave disquietude of Indian Muslim sentiment in respect of the Turco-Italian and the two Balkan Wars, urging upon his correligionists the imperative duty of resignation to the inevitable waning of the Turkish power in Europe, and of acquiescence in British policy. Chairman of the British India delegation to the Round Table Conference in London in 1930 and 1931, he represented India at the World Disarmament Conference at Geneva in 1932, from which year he led the Indian delegation to the League of Nations Assembly, of which he was elected president in 1937. 
fabulously rich, he maintained 12 racing stables in Europe and India before World War II. On the occasion of his Diamond Jubilee on March 1946, or in March 1946, the faithful assembled in Bombay presented him with his weight, 243.5 pounds, in diamonds, oh my, the proceeds of which, amounting to about 2,200,000, he donated to charitable and public works. Well, that was really nice of him to do that. So he sounded very interesting. And for our 18th entry, I guessed, I guessed, we go back to the encyclopedia, the new Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So I guessed is an adverb or adjective, and it means struck with horror, stupefied with sudden fright. Note, formerly in Old English, spelt agazed, as if agazing at an object of astonishment or horror, Laterally confounded with ghostly, and so an error, an H has been introduced into a ghast in Old English used as part of a gaze. So, a ghast. And our 19th entry is agment, or agment. Um, and for those spellings, again, theoaktreejourneys.com. Okay, so, agment. Fortified town of Morocco, capital of a province on the left bank of the Infus, a tributary of the Tensift on the northwest slope of Mount Atlas, 24 miles south from Morocco. It is said to have been at one time the residence of the Moorish emperor, population 6,000, of whom about 1,000 are Jews. Our 20th entry is Agila Wood. Agilla wood, and it just says see aloes wood, so apparently it's a type of aloe wood. Okay, our 21st entry is agile. I love that word, agile. Nimble, not slow, active. Agility, <laughs> agility noun, nimbleness, the power of moving quickly. Also, agileness, noun, synonym of agile. Nimble, alert, active, lively, brisk. Quick, ready, prompt, sprightly. I like sprightly, too. Okay. And our 22nd entry is Agincourt, or Azincourt. And in the 1909, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary, it just says see Azincourt. That's all it says. So for that one, let's go to page 237 in the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956. So if you're, if you're actually reading along, that's where it would be. So Agincourt, or Azincourt, France, a village department of Pass de Calais, famous for a battle fought there, 25th October 1415. Henry V, King of England, eager to conquer France, landed at Harfleur, took the place by storm, and wished to march through Picardy to Calais in order to fix his winter quarters in its neighborhood. With a powerful force, the Dauphin advanced against him. Henry V retreated to the Somme. The French followed to harass his retreat and to defend the passage from Abbeville to St. Quentin, which he gained only through the inattention of the enemy. The English, however, being destitute of everything and reduced by sickness, Henry asked for peace on disadvantageous terms. The French refused his proposals and succeeded in throwing themselves between Callus and the English. These latter consisted of 2,000 men-at-arms and 12,000 archers, and were arranged in order of battle between two hills with the archers on the wings. Stakes of which every man carried one were fixed in front of them. The French, commanded by the Constable de Albret, numbered 50,000 troops, of whom 8,000 were men-at-arms, but other estimates make the French strength much greater. They arranged themselves in two divisions, with the men-at-arms, of whom 2,000 were mounted in front. The English first put themselves in motion. The French horse instantly hastened to meet them, but were received with such a shower of arrows by the archers that they fell back on the first division and threw it into confusion. The light-armed English archers seized their clubs and battle axes and broke through the ranks of the French knights, who could hardly move on the account of their heavy coats of mail and the closeness of their array. 
The English horse rushed to assist the archers. The first French division retreated, and the second could not sustain the charge of the victors, and the whole French army was soon entirely routed. The victorious army, in the pursuit of the flying enemy, took 14,000 prisoners in addition to those previously captured. 10,000 Frenchmen lay dead on the battlefield. Among them was the Constable of France, with six dukes and princes. Five princes, among whom were the Dukes of Orleans and Bourbon, were taken prisoners. The English lost 1,600 men killed, among them the Duke of York, Henry's uncle. So there we go. We got a lot more out of the Encyclopedia Americana. However, we won't know yet um, what the 1909 has to say. But let's, speaking of the 1909, uh, for our 23rd entry, let's go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. And that's where we have two uh, agios. So the first definition of agio, which is our 23rd word, so agio, noun, the difference in accepted value of banknotes and that of current money or coin, the premium charged by money changers, agiotage, the methods employed by spec speculators in the public funds to lower or raise their price by spreading false rumors, etc. Oh, that doesn't happen anymore, does it? Ah. The regulation of rates ruling agio. Of course, I'm being facetious. <laughs> um, all right, and 24 is agio, our second definition. Agio, from an Italian word signifying accommodation, First used in Italy to denote the premium taken by money changers in giving gold for silver on account of the greater convenience of gold for transport. Agio is now used to denote the difference between the real and the nominal value of money, also the variations from fixed pars or rates of exchange. It corresponds very nearly to the English word premium. That's cool. And our 25th entry is... Agis, Agis, and that is the name of several kings of, of Sparta mentioned is made of a king, King Agis is early, as early as about B.C. 1000, who subdued, who subdued the old inhabitants of Sparta and made the helots vassals or slaves. Of the others, Agis I reigned during the greater part of the Peloponnesian War, B.C. 420 to 397. Agis II ascended the throne B.C. 338. His hatred of the Macedonian supremacy led him to form alliances with several Persian satraps against Alexander the Great. Agis, after extending his conquests to almost all the cities of Peloponnesus, fell in battle B.C. 330. Agis III came to the throne B.C. 244, when the state of Sparta had fallen into a ruinous condition through long-continued war. Though only 20 years old when he begun, began to reign, he boldly resolved to restore the old institutions and severe manners of Sparta. But intrigues and self-interest in the higher classes frustrated his designs. The riches of the state were now in the hands of a few persons, sound familiar? While well, a great majority of the people were in extreme indigence. Agis, therefore, in accordance with the old laws of the state, proposed a redistribution of landed estates by lottery. The new Ephorus, Agisalus, who was rich in landed property, but burdened with many debts, astutely proposed that first all debts should be cancelled, and next the land should be divided. The first part of this plan was soon effected, but great hindrances were opposed to the carrying out of the remainder. Wonder why... <laughs> Meanwhile, the disappointed people were easily persuaded that Agis had endeavored to introduce measures inimical, inimical to the welfare of the state. Pursued by his enemies, he fled for refuge to a temple, but was betrayed by false friends into the hands of the magistrates, who immediately ordered him to be put to death by strangulation, B.C. 240. Oh, goodness. His mother and his grandmother, who had favored his measures, were barbarously executed in the same manner. Alfieri, the Italian poet, wrote a powerful tragedy on the fate of Agis III. That sounds horrible. And on that sad note, let's go to break.
and welcome back. Hope you enjoyed your break. I totally did. I realized that tomorrow is our church's potluck and I was like, ooh, um, I keep remembering it throughout the day. So, um, well, I guess it would be today because I'm recording this the day before. So tomorrow is today. So today, Sunday, <laughs> by the time this posts, um, it's potluck day. So, um, I don't want to scramble early in the morning, um, right after my walk with my friends, and be like, oh no, I forgot to bring something. Um, so I, I made a list really quickly of what I needed to do, and, uh, and uh, I ate uh, chicken salad chick for the first time today. It was really good, so I may make chicken salad. Um, I looked into buying it from there in you know, large quantities. It was a little too much, but anyway... That's neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, so, we want to get back to our entries because that's why you're here. You are here for the Encyclopedia Challenge and I want to thank you again. And if you want to brag about listening to the entire encyclopedia, uh, you do have bragging rights. Uh, but if you want to just kind of wear a shirt or, or you know, drink out of a coffee mug or, or tea mug, you know, have some tea or, or, or coffee or even hot cocoa, Hot cocoa season is coming up. Uh, go to the-oak-tree-journeys.creator-spring.com and there uh, you can buy uh, your very own shirts, uh, mug, sticker, now you name it, you can buy it. So there you go and um, there is a 15% off uh, of your purchase. I believe it's e-challenge. I forgot to uh, type it out. Uh, but I will. I will get that in the description below. So um, the coupon expires December 1st. So if you are participating in NaNoWriMo uh, this November, which I am planning on doing, and you want something a little extra. I know NaNoWriMo sells their own, own stuff. But if you want something a little extra to say, hey, I've been reading the encyclopedia. I've been listening to the encyclopedia. Um, you can get get a shirt that says, I read encyclopedias for fun. Um, so not only do you write, but you also read. So there you go. Uh, just a little, little thing to keep in mind. Or if you know someone um, who listens to this podcast as well as you do, uh, or with you, you know, that would make a great Christmas present. Okay, so without further ado, let's go ahead and go over our next ten words. So we have a gist, agitate, Aglet, Aglape, comma, Greg, Gregorio, Aglow, Agmanated, Agnel, and then the second definition of Agnel, Agneno, Agnate. Okay, so let's start with a gist. So a gist is a verb, and it means in Old English, to take in the cattle of others to graze. Agister, or agistator, Noun, one who. Adjustment, noun, the profit of cattle pasturing on land, the pasturing of cattle. So, there we go, a pasturing of cattle. That's kind of cool. I never would have guessed that. I would have guessed that it was, hey, I understand what you're talking about. You know, I get the gist. You know, I would have thought it was Old English for, you know, hey, I understand. But no, no it's pasturing of cattle. And our 27th entry is agitate, which is a verb, and it means to put into active motion, to stir violently, to disturb, to examine and discuss with active heat and zeal, agitating, agitated, agitable, agitation, the putting into violent motion, excitement of the mind, the heated or turbulent discussion of a question. Agitator, noun, one who rouses or stirs up, a stirrer or mixer, agitative, adverb, having power or tendency to agitate, synonym of agitate, to rouse, stir, excite, actuate, shake, move, debate, ventilate, discuss, canvas, disturb, distract, revolve, consider, deliberate, contrive of agitation, trepidation, tremor, emotion, excitement, commotion. And our 28th entry is 
aglet, so aglet, noun, the tag of a point, any small object hanging loosely as a spangle, the anthers of a tulip or of grass, or the catkins of a hazel. And that was aglet. And next we have, oh, okay. We have Aglipe, comma, Gregorio, or Gregorio Aglipe. And I was getting a little confused because I was staring at the New Imperial Encyclopedia Dictionary of 1909. I was like, the next word's not in here. Well, it's because it's in the Encyclopedia Americana. And let me just turn to the right page. Okay, so Aglipe, comma, Gregorio. He was a Philippine religious leader born about 1864, died in Manila, Philippine Islands, September 1st, 1940. He was educated in a Roman Catholic seminary and ordained in Manila about 1890. Excommunicated at the time of the insurrection, he supported the insurgents and was made vicar general by Emilio Aguinaldo. Aguinaldo. In 1902, he formed the Independent Catholic Church of the Philippines, which gained more than a million adherents. After his death, the church split up into factions, one of which joined the Protestant Episcopal Church in 1947. Aglipay was defeated for the presidency of the Philippines in 1935 by Manuel Quazon. Very interesting fellow there. hate that we don't have more information about him. And our 30th entry, we go back to the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909, and that is a glow. So our 30th word is a glow, and it means very warm, red and bright with heat, as the cheeks glowing. So a glow. Our 31st word is agmanated. So agmanated, in close order, aggregated, used only of certain glands. 32 is agnel, agnel, noun. In Old English, the redness of inflammation, a swelling, a corn on the foot. Note, this word has been confused with next entry by a misspelling. See skeet. Okay, so we have agnel, and then we have agnel. So here is the next entry, and uh, they're spelled, I don't know what's talking about, they're spelled exactly the same. But okay, uh, it's a noun, a sore under the nail, a whitlow, note primarily hangnail, and the meaning small pieces of partially separated skin about the roots of the fingernails. See agnel one. So there we go. So that was our 33rd entry. Our 34th entry is an yano. So I, I said it was agneno, agneno, because that's how it's spelled, but it's pronounced an yano. And it is formally, okay, so it was formerly a small lake near Naples, about 60 feet deep with no visible outlet. As it was a cause of malaria, it was drained in 1870. Formerly, the lake was named Aniwano from the number of snakes in the neighborhood. In the right of the lake, on the right of Lake Anyano lies the Grotto del Cane, so-called from the stratum of carbonic acid gas, some 18 inches deep, which away, which alway covers the floor and which suffocates a dog or other small animal taken into it. And on the left are found the natural vapor baths of San Germano, used for the cure of gout, rheumatism, etc., but inferior in virtue to the baths at Ba. The volcanoes surrounding the lake have been extinct since 1198. Further on the left from Anyano lies the lake of Estrani, which occupies the crater of an extinct volcano and is surrounded by beautiful woodlands. And our 35th entry... So our 35th entry is agnate, adverb, paternally related, related in the male line, noun, any descendant by the father's side, agnation, direct descent from the same father in the male line, agnetic, 
descent in the male line. Okay, and with that, let's go to break. And welcome back. Yeah, I had an enjoyable break, and I hope you did as well. Okay, our uh, 36th entry is agnate, so we have two definitions of agnate. And let me just go quickly over the next 10 words. So agnate, Agnes of Sorrento, Agnesi, Maria Gatain, Agnu, Cornelius Rhea, Agnition, Agnamen, Agnostic, Agnes, Dia, Ago, Agog. Okay, and let's look at the second definition of agnate. And, oh, I lost it. <laughs> oh, no, okay, here it is. Okay, and this is a, this is a much lengthier than the last definition of agnate, um, but about, covers about half the page. So, I mean, it's not too bad, it's just comparatively. So, agnate in law. A person related through the father as a cognate in a, is a person related through the mother. In the Roman law, both of these terms had a somewhat different signification. Agnates, by that system, were persons related through males only, while cognates were all those in whose connection, though on the father's side, one or more female links intervened. Thus, a brother's son was his uncle's agnate because the Kinti was holy by males. A sister's son was his cognate because a female was interposed in that relationship. In the United States and in Great Britain, the intervention of females is immaterial, provided the connection be on the male or paternal side of the house. The cause of this change in the meaning of terms manifestly borrowed from Roman law seems to be that in Rome, the distinction between agnates and cognates was founded on an institution not adopted in the Roman sense by any modern nation. That of the Patria Potestas, Roman agniti are defined by Hugo to be all those who either were actually under the same paterfamilias or would have been so had they been alive. And thus it was that, as no one could belong to two different families at the same time, the agnation to the original family was destroyed and a new agnation created not only by marriage but by adoption. The foundation of cognation, again, was a legal marriage. All who could trace up their origin to the same marriage were cogniti, and thus the term cognatus, generally speaking, comprehended agnatus. But though an agnatus was thus almost always a cognatus, a cognatus was an agnatus only when his relationship by blood was traceable through males. Justinian abolished entirely the distinction between agnates and cognates, thankfully. See succession, guardian. Wow, that was a mouthful. <laughs> okay, and entry number 37, uh, we go to the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 to find out who in the world Agnes, Agnes of Sorrento was. So Agnes of Sorrento. Oh, and it's actually not a who, but a what. It was a romance by Harriet Beecher Stowe, published in 1862. The scene is laid in Italy in 1492 to 1503. Agnes is the daughter of a Roman prince and a girl of humble birth whom he secretly marries and deserts. The young mother dies of grief, and Agnes is taken by her grandmother to Sorrento, where she lives by selling oranges in the streets. Her beauty and purity involve her in many romantic and dramatic incidents. It does not sound like anything I would want to read, but it sounds interesting nonetheless. And let's go back to the Encyclopedia, uh, I'm excuse, excuse me, the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. Okay, and I'm looking at my list, and looks like we are done with the Encyclopedia Americana of 1956 for the remainder of of this podcast. So I'm just going to put that away. Okay. So our 38th entry is a person and it's Agnesi or an, I'm pronouncing that wrong on Yesi, on Yesi, comma Maria Gatana. So Maria Gatana 
Yan Yan Yasin. Okay, and it is not spelled that way, so Okay, so she lived from 1718 to 1799. She was born in Milan, a woman remarkable for varied attainments. In her ninth year, she could converse in Latin and gave a lecture in this language in which she argued that a knowledge of the ancient languages was a proper accomplishment in women. In her eleventh year, she could also speak Greek fluently and subsequently acquired with great facility several of the Oriental languages, also French, Spanish, and German. This precocious development of intellect was encouraged by her father, who invited parties of learned men to his house with whom Maria disputed on philosophical points. Of her discourses in these parties, her father published some specimens entitled Propositions Philosophica, Milan, 1738. After her 20th year, she devoted her mind to the study of mathematics, wrote an unpublished treatise on conic sections, and published her Institutioni Analecci, two volumes, Milan, 1748. When her father was disabled by infirmity, she took his place as professor of mathematics in the University of Bologna by the appointment of Pope Benedict Fourteenth, She at last became a nun. So she became a nun. Wow. I want to know more about her. Totally want to know more about her. Um, if you know about her, you've already heard about her let me know go to the oaktreejourneys.com contact and let me know what you know about her or go to mandyoaks at protonmail.com or well email me at mandyoaks at protonmail.com and our 39th entry is agnew comma cornelius rhea or cornelius re agnew an american physician born new york 1830 august 8th died 1888 Eight, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> died in 1888, April 8th. There's a lot of eights in here. <laughs> Professor of Diseases of the Eye and Ear New York College of Physicians and Surgeons. He was a graduate of Columbia College and later studied in Europe. Was Surgeon General of the State of New York at the beginning of the Civil War when he became Medical Director of the New York State Volunteer Hospital. As member of the United States Sanitary Commission, he contributed largely to its success. In 1868, he founded the Brooklyn Eye and Ear Hospital. He became founder of the Columbia College School of Mines, and in 1874, one of the trustees of the college. His writings are chiefly monographs on diseases of the eye and ear. Okay, and entry number 40, agnition, noun, and it means acknowledgement. So, acknowledgement and agnition are about this. The same link there. So, agnition just simply means, it's a noun that means acknowledgement. So, agnomon, agnomen, so agnomen is our 41st word. So, agnomen, and that is a noun, and it means a name added to one's usual name. Agnomination, noun, the practice of giving an additional name. Very cool. And here's one, um, Here's a word that's kind of thrown around a lot. Um, this one and stoicism are both just kind of tossed about here and there. So let's just take a look at it. It's agnostic. And let's see what um, the definition was for agnostic in 1909. So agnostic, member of a Christian sect of the 3rd and 4th century, which held the opinion that God did not know all things. Ooh, A denial of the divine omniscience. The term as used at present has both a philosophical and a theological application. Huxley is credited with its introduction into modern terminology. In philosophy, it applies to those theories which recognize an unknowable. In this connection, it is often used to characterize the position of the Spencerian philosophy, as well as that of Kant, Comte, and the doctrine of the relatively of knowledge as expounded by Hamilton. In its theological meaning, it applies to a variety of views regarding the extent to which man has immediate knowledge of God. The term is used very loosely at times to stigmatize any belief not regarded as orthodox. Strictly speaking, the term should apply only to such a view as holds that God himself is unknowable to man. Modern Christian doctrine has generally maintained that man has knowledge of God, but imperfect and incomplete knowledge. Oh, okay. On the other hand, certain eminent modern theologists the theologians 
have held that God is purely an object of faith and that he cannot, properly speaking, ooh, be said to be known at all. See theism, evolution theory, conditioned, comma, the philosophy of the, etc. Okay. Right. And entry number 43, Agnes D.I., Agnes D.I., that's how it's saying it's pronounced. So Agnes D.I., um, which in Latin is the Lamb of God, the name given to a certain prayer used in the Roman Catholic service of Mass. The lit litanies generally conclude with the same prayer, O Lamb of God, that takest away the sins of the world, have mercy upon us. The figure of the Savior under the form of a lamb bearing a staff head with a cross and having a, the head surrounded with anibus stamped upon an oval of wax, silver, or gold is also styled an A.D. Such medals have been consecrated by the popes since the 14th century. In the ancient church, candidates for baptism received similar medals of wax and wore them as amulets. See amulet. In the Greek church, the cloth which covers the cup in the communion service is styled the A.D. Oh, A.D. as in Agnes D.I. D. Okay. And entry 44 is a go. And that's a go. Time gone past, past, a going, in or into action, a gone, past and gone. So pretty cut and dry there. Okay, our 45th word is agog. Agog. It's excited with expectation, ready to start or jog in pursuit of an object of desire. All agog, all eager. Okay, so, ooh, so agog, let me read that again, agog. Excited with expectation, ready to start or jog in pursuit of an object of desire. All agog, all eager. There we go. <laughs> and with that really cool entry, let's go to break. And welcome back. Hey, I've got some really cool news. Uh, we are almost halfway through the first... A book of A's uh, from the New Imperial Encyclopedia and Dictionary of 1909. So we are almost halfway there. Uh, we are so, so close to being halfway there. That's exciting. Okay, our next set of five words words are agonize, not, <laughs> let's see, agonic, agonize, agora, agoraphobia, and aguti, or agati. Okay, and let's take a look at agonic. So our 46th word is agonic. That's an adverb, and it means that does not form an angle. Agonic line, line connecting all points on the globe where the magnetic needle coincides with the geographical meridian. Now, I wish they had an example there or a picture. And our 47th word is agonize, verb, so agonize, and it means to suffer extreme pain or anguish, to distress exceedingly, agonizing, adjective, causing extreme pain, agonized, suffering extreme pain, agonizingly, agony, extreme pain or anguish, either in either of body or mind, agonist, Noun, also agonistes, one who contends for the prize in public games. Agonistic or agonistical, pertaining to contests of strength. Agonistically, of agony, pain, anguish, suffering, pain. Oh, okay, hold on. So synonym of agony. Skipped, skipped that word. Synonym of agony is pain, anguish, suffering, Pang, torment, distress, throw. And that's throw, T-H-R-O-E. And our 48th word is agora. Agora. It's agora. Noun. Assembly, same as the Roman Forum, in most Grecian cities it was the common resort for social and political purposes and for public traffic. It was also the name for the popular assemblies convened by proclamation through a herald. 
So that's neat. So agoraphobia. Agoraphobia. Noun. And that is a morbid condition of fear or uneasiness felt in crossing open spaces. It is an example of a general class of morbid fears or phobias, as they are called. The patient often appreciates the absence of justification for his dread, but nevertheless cannot inhibit it. Occasionally, it results in the embolic condition. See, embolia. So, agoraphobia. So, and it's the fear of crossing open spaces. And our 50th and final entry for today is Agati. Agati, and that means a small quadruped, nearly allied to the cavy or guinea pig, very abundant in some parts of the West Indies and of South America. It is often very injurious to the fields of sugarcane. It is gregorgious. Its flesh resembles that of the hare or rabbit. Other species are found in the same regions and even in the colder parts of South America. The pompous hare is Daisy procta pataconica. So there we go. That is our 50th word. Thank you so much for sticking with me. And uh, thank you for listening from the U.S. and from Australia. Appreciate it. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, uh, just a few reminders. Um, if you did try to send me uh, the bonus word um, from a few podcasts ago, remember the, the bonus word was hidden uh, in the podcast. So if you did try to send that to me before September 30th or by September 30th, uh, 11.59 p.m. Eastern Time, by midnight, um, please send that to me, forward the email, or just uh, use it as an attachment in a new email and send it to Mandy Oaks at protonmail.com. The instructions are below um, because the oak tree journeys at, at gmail.com just failed me big time. Uh, so I'm not going to use that one anymore. Uh, but the description will be in this podcast uh, or the email will be <laughs> the instructions and email will be in the description of this podcast. Okay, And uh, don't forget the Teespring store. I will also have I believe it's e-challenge for 15% off, so I'll have that, um, and I'll also have the link for the Teespring store, um, but that is the-oak-tree-journeys.creator-spring.com. And maybe sometime um, in November we might uh, have uh, something with the Teespring store, maybe another bonus or challenge. Um so something from that. We'll see. We'll have to wait and see. Um, but I've been toying with that idea. And I've also been toying with a Halloween bonus special. So that's still in the works right now. Um, but hopefully it'll all come together. If it all comes together um, just right, then we will have a great bonus podcast for Halloween. So uh, some more to come on that if we're able to do that. And uh, just a reminder, the quote of the month, um, which is attributed to Aristotle, we are what we repeatedly do. Excellence, then, is not an act, but a habit. And with that, I bid you a wonderful, blessed day, and I bid you adieu.